Hello and welcome to Deb and Friends Quest for Connection, a podcast that connects seekers and sages where culture, spirituality, and science intersect. I'm Deb Bowen, your anchor host. I'm a spiritual educator and more. You can learn about me and my services at www.debbowen.com. So this week, let's examine the term mysticism in its various forms and many contexts. Let's start with some of the ways that we define mysticism. What does it mean? It has ancient Greek origins with various historically determined meanings. Derived from a Greek word meaning, quote, to close or to conceal, mysticism historically referred to the biblical, liturgical, spiritual, and contemplative dimensions of early and medieval Christianity. Later, the definition of mysticism grew to include a broad range of beliefs and ideologies related to extraordinary experiences and states of the mind. Now, I tell you that, and bear with me, because we're going to talk about beliefs that are connected to mysticism that are far older, of course, than Christianity, as you can tell from this word really originating from the Greek. In terms of a verb, to be a, to be a mystical person, to have mysticism is to induct, to initiate, to introduce, to make someone aware of something, to train someone, to familiarize somebody, to give first experience of something. So to induct or bring into a mystic state is a verb meaning to induce or induct someone into that closed and concealed way of being. According to Thayer's Greek lexicon, the term in classical Greek meant a hidden thing, secret. And a particular meaning it took on in classical antiquity was a religious secret or religious secrets confided only to the initiated and not to be communicated by them to ordinary ordinary mortals. So the idea here is that if you are initiated into some mystic way of being, you can learn those things that are taught in those mystic states, in those secret religious places, but you cannot pass them on to ordinary mortals. I love that. In the New Testament, the meaning of mysticism took on that it was a hidden purpose or counsel. It's sometimes used as the notion of a hidden will of humans, but more often used for the hidden will of God. In other places in the Bible, the term mysticism takes on hidden in the sense of things, and it's used for the secrets behind sayings or names or images that are seen in visions and dreams. And until the 6th century, the practice of what is now called mysticism was referred to in the term that's related to contemplation. The idea that both contemplation and mysticism speak of the eye of love, which is looking at and gazing at an awareness of divine reality. And yet another definition 
this whole podcast really isn't about definitions, so bear with me here, but just, just to set the stage here. Another definition of mysticism is the practice of religious ecstasies, or in other words, religious experiences that occur during an alternate state of consciousness, together with whatever ideologies and rites and legends may be related to those alternate states of consciousness. So in other words, mysticism within the context of one's religious practices. Mysticism may refer also to the attainment of insight and ultimate truths, and the human transformation that is supported by the experiences of mysticism. Now today, mysticism has taken on a slightly different point of view, um, more limited definition, but with broader applications. So one of the ways that we look at the word mysticism today is that it is the notion of a union with the absolute, the infinite, or in some cases, God. This limited definition has been applied to a wide range of religious traditions and practices with the experience itself, the experience of having some kind of mystical encounter as its key element. However, as I mentioned a little bit ago, um, mysticism is far older than the Abrahamic traditions, going back to indigenous beliefs, folk religions, uh, religions of India, and in today's world in what's considered New Age or neo-paganism. So in truth, there are probably as many definitions of the term mysticism as there are religions, belief systems, and people who consider themselves to be mystics. Although it may seem so, mysticism is not rooted in formal religions, but rather in one's experience with something beyond normal comprehension. And so in this podcast, I'd like to focus on how individuals and certain belief systems view mysticism today. But before I do that, let me talk about some historical figures that might help you put this in context. So in the Abrahamic traditions, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, there are several folks that you may be familiar with. Certainly there are several Christian saints who come to mind. St. Francis of Assisi, St. Teresa of Avila, St. Catherine of Siena, Hildegard of Bingen, Julian of Norwich, Emanuel Swedenborg, Joan of Arc, William Blake, Thomas Merton, and many others. An example in Judaism is Abraham Abulafia. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing his last name right. It's spelled A-B-U-L-A-F-I-A, Abulafia, who was uh, a medieval Jewish mystic, and he was the founder of what is known today as prophetic Kabbalism. So he's the creator of the prophetic Kabbalah. In Islam, the entire Sufi order of of Islam is its mystical arm, and probably the poet and mystic Rumi is the best known of the Islamic mystics. In Hindu tradition, uh, many mystics, the Sikh tradition, 
began with its founder, whose name was Guru Nanuk, who was, as a child, uh, extremely prolific with mystical experiences. And he stressed that God must be seen with the inward eye or the heart. And then, of course, there are also branches of mystical thought in Buddhism and Taoism. And those are just a few of the examples. We could go on and on about mystical experiences in various indigenous cultures and shamanism, for example. I think everywhere you find some kind of a belief system, you find some mystical arm. What does it mean to have a mystical experience? Well, historically, the construct for the experience was based on what was termed the perennial position or the idea that the experience was connected to an otherworldly interaction with the divine within some kind of religious framework. Today, scholars examine mysticism in rather than the perennial position. Uh, in fact, instead today look at it from a contextual perspective taking into account historical and cultural norms. And research is also underway, interestingly, and I'll talk about this in just a minute, to examine the potential neurological aspects of the mystical experience. So I'll be talking about that in a second, but let me speak a minute about the historical and cultural norms. For example, there are mystical experiences that occur within indigenous cultures that in first people's culture would seem really very bizarre. For example, if you are a member of a Plains tribe here in the United States and are involved in Sundance ceremonies or vision quest ceremonies, for example, mystical experiences are considered the norm when one is undergoing those culturally bound activities. Whereas having a mystical experience in, in First Peoples' world is uh, probably not something that you would see as a culturally normal behavior in day-to-day life. And yet mystical experiences in shamanic cultures and indigenous cultures is the norm. So that's an important difference in the way that researchers and scholars look at an attempt to answer that question, what is mysticism? As I mentioned, another way that researchers are looking at the concept of mysticism is with neurological questions. Is, is this idea of what happens to someone in a mystic situation, in fact, brain waves? Does it happen in the brain? So the research for neurological answers takes a very empirical approach relating mystical experiences to neurological processes. And so this leads to a real interesting philosophical question. Does the identification of neural triggers or neural correlates of mystical experiences prove that mystical experiences are no more than brain events Or does it merely identify the brain activity occurring during a genuine cognitive event? 
and we don't yet know the answer to that. One school of thought uh, believes that neurology reduces mystical experiences or that neurology is neutral to the issue of mystical uh, cognitive behavior. There's some evidence that the temporal lobe may be involved in mystical experiences and in a change in personality that may result from such experiences. For example, it generates the feeling of, quote, I, and gives a feeling of familiarity or strangeness to the perceptions of the senses. There's a longstanding idea that epilepsy, for example, may be linked in some way to mystical experiences. That's one of the theories about what was occurring for St. Teresa of Avila. We don't really know. There's also an idea that there are other uh, parts of the brain where there may be this idea that a strong feeling of certainty, which can't be expressed in words, which is a common quality in mystical experiences, is really caused by a dysfunction of the anterior insula, the part of the brain which is evolved in self-reflection, and in avoiding uncertainty about the internal representation of the world is a risk that the person having the mystical experience undergoes. So, so what that means is that there are potentially parts of the brain that, are, that mimic what one believes to be some kind of mystical experience. And it's so mystical and so the feeling that the person is having is that the experience is so mystical that they can't put the experience into words. And neurological researchers say, no, that's just a a function of the brain parts where this is happening. So that's one side of the coin of taking a look at the neurology of brain work and the idea of mysticism. The other side of the coin says, wait, in fact, people really are having mystical experiences. These are very genuine cognitive events. And what we're measuring when we're measuring somebody in the throes of of an event is actual cognitive brain function. So we really don't know. We, We really do not know. But the research, of course, is ongoing. And I think that's just fascinating. I would imagine that if you're a regular listener to this podcast, you have some familiarity with the wonderful Franciscan friar and author whose name is Father Richard Rohr. And Father Richard says in his wonderful book, A Spring Within Us, that a mystic is simply one who has moved from a mere belief system to belonging systems actual inner experience. So what he's saying is that in some ways, mysticism transcends. Belief systems transcends the neurological research that there is something internal that happens within us that can't be explained. And it is the mystery that is the blessing. So how can you know 
if you're a mystic. Can anyone in today's world be a mystic? What does a mystical experience look and feel like? And I don't know, just as I mentioned earlier, that often someone who has had mystical experiences can do a really thorough and comprehensive job of explaining what really has gone on with them while the experience is happening. But I've created a list of seven items that might help you conceptualize what it means to be a mystic. And I've chosen seven items on this list because in numerology, seven is the number of the mystic. And I thought that would be just kind of fun. But before I get into the list, let me just take a pause here and remind you that you are listening to Deb and Friends Quest for Connection podcast, and I am your anchor host, Deb Bowen. And I'm so happy that you are with me as I'm exploring what for me was a fascinating topic to delve into some of this research and bring this uh, discussion to you this week. I hope you listen to me every week. You can find me on and the podcast on most podcast outlets, although not all, uh, always on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio and some others. But we certainly hope that you will find us wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also join in on the conversation on my Facebook page, which is Deb and Friends Quest for Connection. Love to have you take a look at, at what I'm doing over there. And if you would like to know about my services and the work that I do otherwise, and in addition to this, you can certainly find more about me on my website, www.debbowen.com. And if you go to the bottom of the home page on my website, in the purple band at the bottom, there's a place for you to click to sign up for my monthly newsletter. I promise I won't blow up your email. It only comes to you once a month. And I let you know about classes I'm teaching and uh, presentations I'm giving and where I'll be if you'd like to see me and, and that sort of thing. So would love to have you join me for that. So let me get back to uh, this discussion on mysticism and the seven items that I have jotted down for you that I think might help you have a better idea of what mysticism looks like. So number one, a mystic is someone who has worked on the art and skill of beingness. Yes, beingness means meditation and more. Meditation, meditation, meditation. It means just to be still. But it also means to simply be an observer without judgment, to take in with all of your senses the world around you. For many mystics today, and historically, this meant being in a sacred place, whether that is out in nature, your own backyard or your patio will do, or a building or a location that you might consider sacred, a house of worship or your kitchen table. Two, the without judgment part is tricky. To be still is to truly be open and receptive to whatever comes. It is only in quietness that we hear the still small voice within and around us. 
to truly experience what we're meant to experience without filters and lenses from the world around us is to be able to accept without judgment what we see. Number three, if you've had a mystical experience, if you believe you have, take notes, write down your experiences. Almost all of the people I mentioned earlier in this episode who are considered mystics are people who were prolific writers. So write down your experiences. Write poetry. Write prose. Write songs. It doesn't matter what, but write And it doesn't matter how good it is. It just matters that you write down what you've experienced. No matter what, it's important to do that. The more you write, the more your communication with that which you may not be able to name increases. And the more you will be transformed. Four, think of mysticism in terms of connection. Think in terms of oneness. Think in terms of no otherness. There is no other. Energetically, everything that ever was, is, or shall be is energy. And energy cannot be created or destroyed. It simply changes shape and function as needed. Therefore, you and I, and the device through which you're listening to this podcast and the device through which I'm recording it, and the chair we're sitting on are all the same. It's all energy, just vibrating at various rates. Now take that concept of connectedness, of energy, to even a more esoteric level. And think of yourself as being one with all nature. Plants, stones, four-legged, swimming, crawling, winged people, Mother Earth herself. And if that idea resonates for you, that there's really no hierarchy, that there's no difference among every single being on this planet and the planet itself, if that resonates for you, then take that concept outward to the cosmos, to the Milky Way and galaxies far, far away, and to the limitless possibility of connection out there. And if that resonates with you, think of yourself as connected to all the ancestors and to all the celestial beings and to all those deities that are a part of your consciousness. And we're back to the notion of oneness because everything is everything. And that is for many of the people who have had and written about their mystical experiences, the crux of their experiences. Number five, you know intuitively when you've had a mystical experience, when you've been touched by some cosmic event that you can't explain. You can't be taught to be a mystic. You have to experience mysticism. Oh, you can learn about mysticism, about mysticism. This podcast episode is one way of doing that. But mysticism is something that is within you. The experience itself has to be yours. 
And I've been blessed in my life to have had several mystical experiences. And a couple of them were actually shared with dear friends. And I want to share one of them with you. Some years ago, my wonderful friend Joel and I were on what's called the high road to Taos between Santa Fe and Taos, New Mexico. Joel was driving what we affectionately called his midlife crisis car. It was long, low, sleek, and black. He made the wrong turn in a small, dusty town. And he would not, in that typical Joel fashion, admit that he'd made a wrong turn. And as he kept driving, and I kept trying to get him to turn around, and he wouldn't, the road we were on changed from pavement to gravel to dirt and just became a path. And at some point, as we were almost running out of dirt, we had a towering cliff of red clay and rocks to our right and a sheer drop-off to a stream on our left. And we rounded a curve, and there in the middle of the road stood a man who seemed to be waiting for us. He was wearing cowboy boots, jeans, a plaid shirt, and a denim jacket. And he had long, jet black hair that framed a very bronzed face. Joel, of course, stopped the car. The man walked over to Joel's side of the car, and he said, you are on the high road to Taos, and you are lost. You are on sacred land. I will turn you around so you can be on your way on the right road. And the next thing I know, the car was facing the way we'd come, and the man had vanished, simply vanished. Joel and I just looked at each other, but we didn't speak for a very, very long time. Now, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, and so does Joel, that we had a mystical experience, something beyond our normal reality occurred in those moments on that dirt path out in the middle of what felt to us like nowhere in New Mexico. And I am sure that that was a mystical experience that he and I have shared. Number six, did you listen to my episode that aired last week, the one about asking the hard questions? Who am I? Where is home? Where am I going? That episode was meant to be a run-up to this one. I know I said a minute ago that mystics must just be and accept without judgment what they experience. But this doesn't mean that mystics don't ask questions, aren't curious. Ask the hard questions. Try to formulate answers based on what you've experienced and, and what you've observed in the world around you. Most important, know that you don't always know all of the answers. And that's a really important piece of the mystic puzzle is knowing that there will always be more questions and there will always be more answers. And number seven, mystics value their own internal set of values. Shoulds from an outside source don't mean much to mystics. They don't work for mystics. 
The values cultivated by mystics come from both an internal moral compass and from the notion I mentioned earlier about connection. When there is no other, then there is no reason to harm. So I hope you'll take these seven ideas and ponder them and examine how this might work for you in your life to be more deeply connected to what is mystical, to what you can't always name or categorize and certainly not explain. I think the world needs more mystics today, more than ever before. I believe we need more people to slow down, to sit still, to listen with the inner cosmic ear to the wisdom of the sages and ages, and then share that wisdom with the world. I believe each of us can be a mystic, can be someone that shares the gift of connection on oh so many levels. I so hope this episode has given you something to ponder. Thank you so much for joining me here at Deb and Friends Quest for Connection podcast. We've got some great episodes and some guests coming up for you in the next few weeks, so please stay tuned. I hope you'll invite your friends to listen, and I'd so appreciate you leaving a comment on iTunes. That helps other people find me. And remember that you can learn more about me and my work on my website, debbowen.com and sign up for my newsletter. Stay connected to us on Facebook. And so until next time, keep questing and blessings to you.